0: i want to begin today by saying happy Father's Day, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe some of you dads have had it. I know some of you moms have had it. Trying to explain something, maybe it's to your family or group of people, and you realize that your words are falling on deaf ears. <laughs> you realize that what you're saying is not computing. They're, they're not getting it. The audience is not understanding it by the way I never have that experience in here just want to let you know that but I've had that experience at home I've had that experience I'm sure that you have too and today we begin this brand new series on on Father's Day we begin this brand new series called short stories where we're going to be throughout the rest of the summer taking a look at the stories that Jesus told the parables that he told And it's kind of interesting because today is really a message about why he used these stories, why he used these parables, why he would go to this method. Why even did he change his methods? Because the story of Jesus is so interesting. He begins to teach his teaching ministry or preaching. I don't like to say preaching. I like to say teaching. His teaching ministry began... Um, with the Sermon on the Mount, where he was giving instruction on how to live. And just like you and I, who we may be trying to teach someone something new, or teach them how to do something, it falls on deaf ears. And Jesus was noticing in his ministry that people weren't listening to the things that he was saying. Or perhaps they were listening to the things that he was saying. Perhaps they were receiving what he was saying, but they were ignoring it. They didn't want to hear about the kingdom of God, as we just sang about. They didn't want to hear about how they should respond and how they should live in light of God's redemption and what God was doing. They didn't want to hear about the fact that the Sabbath didn't matter. The rules didn't matter. All these rules that they Worshipped and honored. They didn't want to hear that their purpose was to lift high the kingdom of God and not the nation of Israel. And they rejected what Jesus was saying. And today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13. Because in Matthew 13, we see something that's really quite extraordinary. We see Jesus changing his teaching method we see jesus making almost an about face in terms of what he was doing not because what he was saying wasn't powerful or true or worthy or of great value but he realized the audience wasn't listening dads have you ever had that experience have you ever had that experience You're trying to explain something. I remember like the first time um, that I ever uh, like taught Sean how to play golf. I made one huge mistake the first time I went to a driving range with Sean. Um, I walked up behind him. You should never walk up behind a three-year-old on a driving range because the very first thing, it's at the same driving range that we go to today, and Sean, um, we laughed about this just recently, literally he took a backswing and hit me right on the lip, and I went down on the ground. And I'm so incredibly thankful I didn't have to have any surgery or nothing wrong with my teeth. But it shocked me so much. And I realized I hadn't even given him one word of instruction. Completely my fault. Sean is completely my fault, man. I promise you. So anyway, to this day, it's completely my fault. Because you shouldn't walk behind a three-year-old with a golf club or any bat or anything like that. But I realized I had an uphill battle in terms of teaching him about golf and i remember me and my dad and every time my dad would say something especially when i was i was in middle school and high school i remember thinking that's a lie that's not true that ain't true how can that be true there's no way i've heard other people say different i think different i don't think what he's saying is right and isn't that how we react church to christ follower not only to our earthly parents, our earthly moms and dads, but we react that way to God. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We look at God and go, I, I got this. I got this myself. And Jesus didn't change his ministry because what he had to say, he didn't change his method, excuse me, because what he was saying wasn't true he didn't change it because it wasn't working. He didn't change it because he needed to change the actual method. He changed how he was communicating because the listeners weren't hearing it and they weren't receiving it and they weren't allowing it to penetrate their life. And so we see this dramatic shift in Matthew 13 and it's kind of the basis. It's kind of that tipping point of everything we see. In fact, the the, the gospel of of Mark tells us that from this point on, when he taught, every time he taught, from the moment that he was going to the cross, from that time he was going to the cross, he never taught another spiritual lesson without using a parable. Isn't that amazing? And a parable is just this. It's a short story, in most cases, short story. It's a simple story that teaches a heavenly principle. It's a comparison. And aren't stories incredibly powerful? I remember my, my first pastor, when I was growing up in ministry, he, he used to tell us that that which is most personal is most universal, and it's true, isn't it? When we hear a story about someone's life, how they're struggling, how they may have had victory over a certain thing, that's when we really connect with it. I mean, TED Talks has made a whole, what, industry out of this, right? That's what it's all about. 15 or 20-minute talks about how someone experienced a trial and overcame the trial or discovered something new or had success in some way. And Jesus understood, I want you to hear this, he understood the power of the story. And he used it to create this connection largely to the kingdom of God, what we just sang about. Today, before we dive in, because today is really just talking about what parables are, and at the end, I'm going to explain one of the parables that Jesus taught in Matthew 13, which was, he actually went through about four or five of them right there out of the gates in Matthew chapter 13, and I love what he does. He had the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in Matthew 5 through 7, and then we come to Matthew 13, and he decides to do this. He went out on a boat out into the sea, and where people had gathered on the beach, and he sat down in the boat because he knew that that would capture their attention. I mean, he wasn't just a great storyteller. He knew how to do it. He knew how to capture their attention. He understood that his voice would project off of the water and probably hit behind them, and he would have a natural PA system. So he began to teach And he dives right into the parable of the sower. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower in a few weeks. But today what I want you to see is how incredibly he was concerned with the kingdom of God. Now when we think of the kingdom of God, we probably, right out of the gates, I'm already going, I don't know what that means. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand or you can't raise your hand, I don't care. How many of you would say, I don't really quite understand this concept of the kingdom of God? Because kingdom is, can you agree, can we agree that kingdom is a strong word? It's a strong word, right? It has power. It has meaning. It has significance. And almost every single parable that Jesus used was driving at kingdom work. Yet the things that Jesus taught were, were very, things that were very humble in nature. And so I want to know how those things you know, kind of add up. Where's the sum of those things? How do, how do we reconcile those two things? That Jesus was concerned about the kingdom, yet at the same time, he taught things that were so humble in nature. Those two things don't seem to go together. But when he's teaching parables, when he's teaching about the kingdom, when he's driving home some of these points, he's, he's driving home that, that we need to check where our value is. And so I want to ask this morning, whether it's Father's Day or not Father's Day, I, I want to ask you guys, because some of you dads are like, the most valuable thing to me today is when I leave this place, I'm in my Lazy Boy, and I'm watching the PGA, uh, uh, the, the U.S. Open today, right? right? Any of you with me? That's what I'll be doing later today, all right? And some of you are like, yeah, my most valuable thing is to go out and you know, play 18 holes today. My most valuable thing is to be heard all day long, like everything I say is heard, right? All right, so, uh, or maybe it's that your most valuable thing, Dad, today is for not anybody to say anything to you. Okay, so I don't know what that is, um, but we, we have things that are valuable. And I want to ask you today, those of you who are fathers who are, uh, you know, are not, um, what is most valuable to you? What's most valuable to you? Because Jesus is provoking us to think about what's most valuable to us. I love Matthew 13, and I want to begin in, verse 10. And I want to look at verses 10 through 17 because something really interesting happens here. Um, I I love this. And so let's pray before we dive into his word and ask for him to lead us and guide us as we, we find out why he used parables. So Father, today on this Father's Day, would you lead us and guide us as we discover your word, as we dive into your word? Father, I pray that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would impart upon us knowledge that we need to hear about your kingdom work and why you used these short stories in the lives of the disciples then and the lives of us today who are followers of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus gets done teaching about the parable of the sower and then we see in verse 10, I love this, then the disciples came to him. It's always interesting when the disciples come up to Jesus because they're always going to ask some kind of crazy question, right? So then the disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Okay, again, the scene, Jesus out on a boat, sitting in a boat, out in on on the on the ocean right there, speaking to the people who haven't listened, who haven't quite taken in what he was saying. Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered, and he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given. There's a lesson inside a lesson right there, isn't there? To the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. This, Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they, what's that next word? Say it with me. Understand. Indeed, he says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, for the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And then he says, but blessed are you, or your eyes, for they see, and your ears For they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so in summation, Jesus is saying, I have spoken the truth, but they're not hearing it. They're not seeing it. They're not understanding it. I am speaking the truth about the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm speaking the truth about my part in it. I'm speaking the truth about what we collectively and they should be doing about it. And some of you get it and some of you don't. And this is why I speak in parables. And so today I want to walk through the what, the type, And a little bit of the why Jesus spoke in parables and end with a short lesson on how we can be more kingdom minded. Now, in the Greek language, the word parable means, uh, the the word para means alongside and bowl means to set. And so what Jesus was doing is essentially he was setting aside of the truth something that would help them understand. You and I do it all the time, don't we? We use metaphors. We use analogies. We use comparisons. We use this all the time. It's an excellent teaching tool. And a really cool thing is the greatest teacher understood that way before a book was ever written on it. He understood the power of parables. Now, here's what some of you may not know. There are at least 30 parables that we can identify in the Gospels alone. And probably as many as 40, if you really take a look at some of the nuances of what Jesus was teaching when he gave these parables. And as I mentioned before, for at least a while in his ministry, Jesus didn't teach without using parables. He wanted to communicate a spiritual truth to a group of people that didn't understand or didn't want to hear the spiritual truth. Now, if that is not a description of us in our world today, I don't know what is. And, and I'm right there at the top of the list. Because sometimes I, I don't, I don't want to hear the truth of the matter. I don't want the spotlight to be on me and my issues. I want it to be on someone else and their issues. I want to think I'm okay. I want to think I've got it all together. I want to think that that's for them and not for me. And so Jesus used these analogies. He used these metaphors. He used these these little illustrations that they would have understand to come alongside and to help provoke us to find the truth. One great scholar said um, that one very conservative scholar said that Jesus had, had t- taught his, the first part of his ministry. He taught and he gave the truth right out f- for them to have, and they didn't take it. So parables were actually used to hide the truth, not so that the truth could be hidden, but so that they would be provoked then to think about the truth of God's word. And so he understood that the truth wasn't music to every ear. Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? It does. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Am, Am I the only one that doesn't want to hear the truth sometimes? That's why we call it the honest truth, right? It's Because it's honest revealing. And so Jesus used this to help people understand the truth and to help accept it. And so to those that had a genuine hunger for God, the parable was an effective and a memorable way to convey divine truths. But here's the thing, church, I don't want you to miss this. This wasn't Jesus teaching a short moral lesson. I think that's sometimes what we do is we we sometimes take these parables and these stories of Jesus and we, we kind of ratchet them down to, oh, it's just a good moral lesson for us to know and understand. Oh, it's so much greater than that. It's so much larger than that. He's driving at a finer point. He's driving at a bigger picture point. And so Jesus' parables contain massive truths of proportion, massive, massive proportion. And he's provoking us to question, what do I value? What do I value? And we need sometimes these earthly stories with heavenly meanings for us to understand what was important to Jesus. The truth of the matter is, is that in our day and age, the reality is for us, is that sometimes we're more focused on our kingdom than we are his kingdom, aren't we? we're more focused on what we can gain in life, what success we can have, how much we can collect, how much we can put in the coffers. (laughs) And I know I'm probably touching on something very sensitive because most of our coffers have been depleted a lot over the past few weeks and very quickly over these past few months. But you see, if we are all about us, then we're about our kingdom. And Jesus said, that's not what it's about, and I want people to understand it. And so he used kind of three ways he, he used, and these are the types. He used similitudes, which are a type of parable. He used direct parables. And then he also used exemplary stories, which are essentially illustrations. But these parables that he used were of great value. They were huge in proportion. And I don't want us to miss the why. And there's three things today that I want us to learn about Jesus' parables. That kind of sets the stage as as myself and Justin later in the series will will help maybe us understand some of these parables that may seem a little odd and interesting to us. The first thing is is that Jesus spoke in in this type of parable for us to understand that God's kingdom arrived with the humble beginning and movement of Jesus. How did Jesus come to this earth? He, he was born in a what? I, I, know it's, I know it's June and mid-June and it's 117 degrees out and nobody wants to talk about Christmas right now, but let's just go Christmas for a minute, all right? So Jesus was born in a stable, in a what? In, in a manger, in a stable. Very humble beginnings, right? What was Jesus' job? What did he do here on this earth? He was a what? He was a carpenter. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't a king. He didn't come from great wealth. He had humble beginnings. He had a humble ministry. He would, he would go and, and, and perform miracles because that was the greatest thing that he could do. He turned water to wine. and He, he, he you know, made, made uh, uh, people well who were sick. He, he healed diseases. And he was the go-to guy if you couldn't find a solution. And he was humble. And at his humble beginning and with his humble ministry, the kingdom of God was beginning to be introduced on this earth. And by the way, you and I, we're still a part of that movement towards the kingdom of God. That will one day end in, thank goodness, victory over death and sin. And him establishing a kingdom that lasts forever. I kind of can't wait for that kingdom, right? Man. But you see, the problem was that Jesus was teaching to a group of people that thought that the Messiah was going to come to rule and to reign and to be a political warrior. And Jesus taught just the opposite stuff. And that's part of the reason that the Jews rejected the teachings of Jesus. And so he began to teach in these parables so that they would understand there's one parable called the parable of the yeast." And he was communicating that just like yeast and dough, that we are just like yeast that becomes dough and becomes bread and rises up slowly over time, that the kingdom of God was not going to appear in a moment, that slowly over time. The kingdom of God would come to pass. The Jews had a totally different view of what the kingdom of God and the ushering of the kingdom of God might be like. I mean, picture it for a minute. Like, like pretend like you're a Jewish kid, let's say, or a Jewish citizen living in the first century. Rome controlled everything that you did, right? They imposed taxes and rules and laws upon you that didn't jive with your values and what you were doing and you thought that the kingdom of God would come in a different way and so what rose up in the Jewish people was a national idolatry that they wanted so bad for the Messiah to come and to conquer Rome and sometimes we want that today in some ways don't we the reality is, is, it wasn't God's plan. It's not God's plan. One day, he will rule and he will reign. But in the meantime, there's this humble movement that Jesus came. That's not this patriotic necessarily cry of freedom, but it is a movement that says that we are going to be the least. And so for the Jews to understand that, he used uh, you know, parables like the parable of the yeast that said that this would come slowly over time. But get on board with God's kingdom, not a different type of kingdom. And so I think there's something for us to learn that God is moving, even though we may not see it. The second thing, not only did he want them to understand that God's kingdom had arrived with the humble movement of Jesus, but the second thing is he wanted them to accept the upside down values of God's kingdom. How many of you have ever felt weird because you call yourself a Christ follower? Have you ever felt different or weird? Let's Sure, raise a hand, right? Like in the workplace, you have to make different decisions. Everybody ever have to do that? In your school, you're the one that stands out because you're pegged as a as a Jesus person, as my daughter would say. Like it's hard to be a Christ follower in this world. Can we agree on that? The values of the world are different than our values. And it is hard for us to stand up because we think that we end up being weird, which, by the way, God has called us to be different. It doesn't mean that we have to act weird, okay? That's a whole nother topic, right? But he, wants, he wanted the Jews then, and he wants us to accept the upside-down upside down values of God's kingdom. Man, I love talking to some of you businessmen and women who have shared with me your personal stories of how you stood up for your values in the workplace because you're a Christ follower. And you know to have that conversation or to make that deal would be something that would compromise your values. And you did the right thing in private where no one else would see. That's what Jesus wants from us. And I love those stories that some of you have told me that you've made some of those decisions to say, hey, I, I'm going to give up this potential gain because I know it would compromise my values. And Jesus told a parable, the parable of the business owner, or the business owner, the parable of the business owner, he hires workers through the day, he pays them uh, all the same wage, even though they you know, may uh, work different times and that sort of thing. And Jesus was trying to communicate to the people then, and I think us now, that being a God follower, being about the kingdom of God, may mean that you and I are going to be a little bit different. Again, we don't have to be weird, but we are called to be different if we're kingdom followers. And then the last thing I think that Jesus wants us to understand from many of these kingdom parables is that we, the, the people then and we now, we, we choose to make our life about building God's kingdom rather than our kingdom. How does that play out in this century, in our day and age? Well, there was a parable of the landowner, and he appoints managers to take care of the vineyard that he owned. And at harvest, he sends a servant to take care of the fruit, but the managers that he hired, they killed all the servants, and then he sent his son to check in on how things were going, and they killed his son. By the way, sometimes it's hard to decipher the difference between what is real and what's a parable when you really begin to study Jesus' words, right? And there are times I even say that this happened when it didn't happen. He was telling a story, and in that parable, Jesus is, is telling us and he's is helping us to understand that the point of being a Jesus follower is are we going to trust him or are we going to trust our own little world? Are we going to be true people who have faith in his kingdom that one day he's going to resolve all this or are we really living for us? And I got to tell you, Christ follower, there are times when I get those things confused. When I'm all about me, when my lack of faith reveals how much i I'm not trusting in the big picture of what God is doing. But here's the thing. Our lives and what we do with it, we have have a choice to make in this. We have a choice to to decide whether we're we're not going to be kingdom of God followers, whether we're going to be kingdom of God pursuers, or whether we're going to be, in my case, kingdom of Todd followers. just happens to rhyme in my case. Boy, that is a tall order, isn't it? It means that we filter so many things through who we trust, what we do, how we act, how we treat other people. And that's the whole point of Jesus conveying these lessons in parables, is that it would provoke our thinking, it would help us to ponder who we are and what Jesus was up to and it helped to prove that the kingdom of God is of so much greater value than anything that we would want to build. And these stories that Jesus tells pierce our heart if we will allow Him to. And my challenge to you is over these next weeks, as we dive into all of these parables, not all of them, it's not a 30 week message series, I promise you that. I'm way too ADD for that. But we're going to take the, largely the rest of June and July and August and talk about many of these parables that has so much to teach us, not just a moral story, not just, a, not just an Aesop's fables of how we should live, but a deep truth about the kingdom of God and how valuable it is. And so my question at the beginning is my question at the end. What is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you. What is the thing that is, is of the greatest value in your life? What is the thing that you will defend at all cost? See, Jesus wanted us to understand that as Christ followers, as followers of him, the kingdom of God should be the thing that we view as most valuable. And our effort and our work should be just like that. There's one parable that he told that I want to look at very quickly as we wrap today. And that's right at the end of this chapter. In verse 44, he says this. It's one sentence, right? It's one sentence, one verse. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. It's a simple story, right? A man has a field. He finds a value treasure. He covers it up and realizes seemingly years later or days later or weeks later that he's got this great thing of value and he uses it to buy a new field. Man, I would love to be on the news and be one of those people that has a story of like, you know, Todd Cullen went up into his attic and found like a painting that is worth two million dollars. And Don't you love those stories? They happen all of the time. People find pieces of great value in attics and basements. We don't have basements down here in the Low Country, but in, we do have attics, right? And, and I, my house is, uh, was built in 1987 and had many different owners and None of them really took care of it. That's my job. So I'm hoping one day when I'm taking care of my house, I can find one of those things that would have some great value. That'd be awesome. <laughs> have you ever found something and you're like, man, this is a great value? I remember my dad had a baseball card collection, like Mickey Mantle era baseball card collection, that his mom sold in a garage sale. And my mom and dad and I made the decision to sell, like, 1970s and 80s Star Wars figures that I had in a garage sale. This is our legacy. We sell valuable stuff before it's valuable. That's our legacy. <laughs> what well, I, well, I wouldn't want to have some of those things and find some of those things, something so valuable, And Jesus is saying here that that's like the kingdom of God. That great treasure that you find that ends up and you're so shocked it has so much value because time has gone on. That's the kingdom of God. That's the great value. So what is most valuable to you and to me? I think our challenge, our invitation is to consider that our, part of our job, part of our mission in life is to make the kingdom of God most valuable to us. The other day I was up in our attic and the only thing I could find in a bin was an old iPhone. I'm not selling it at a garage sale. I'm going to keep it. Because who knows, maybe when there's, they're up to iPhone 50, it'll be worth some money. But church, let's allow these parables to provoke our thinking, to pierce our hearts, to prove to us what we need to do, what Jesus was up to, and what we need to do in response. That's what he wants when he talks about the seed in a ground, or a mustard seed. Or like we'll get to in a few weeks, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. When Jesus is telling these stories. He's doing it so that you and I can be provoked in, in the depths of our, our soul. Because He wants us to be on board with Him. He wants us to be on board with His kingdom work. And Until our dying day or until the kingdom of God is at hand, until it is right in front of us, that's what we should be about. That's the thing that should be most valuable to you and to me. These stories with a purpose can be purposeful if you and I are open to allowing them to pierce our hearts, to provoke our thoughts, and to do a work in us. Father, may you use these stories. It's not just a TED talk. It's not just a, a small coffee table book. It's not just a cool meme. It means a lot. Father, these are stories that you knew would convey great truths. And Father, even today, I pray that you would help us understand the value of your kingdom. The value of what we can do to further your kingdom. The investment with our time and our talent and our treasure that we can make in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would be provoked, that we would get on board, that our hearts would be pierced as to what we can do. May your Holy Spirit begin the process, even today, of convicting and challenging your people on Hilton Head to see with the bigger picture, to have eyes that are wide what you're doing, to have ears that would hear what you want us to know how we need to change personally in the depths of our heart and hearts that are bending towards your will and your way in our lives. Use these stories like you did back then. Use them now in my life. Use them in our lives over the summer. And Father, I pray that you would do it for your glory for our good. We thank you so much that you are a good Father. You don't wrangle or push us. You allow us to make choices. But Father, I pray that we would make choices that would please you, Daddy, our Father. Be with those today who have lost their father. Be with those who today, Father's Day, is difficult. Father, I pray that you would lead and guide them, that you would be the heavenly Father, everything that they need, everything that we need in our lives. We love you so much. In your name, we pray.